Wow, what a creepy score for that. That's 20 Days Later. Um, wow, that's uh, by John Murphy. Horrifying song to a horrifying film, which we will be discussing today. It's a classic now. It's 17 years old, 18 years old, 20 Days Later. And I think it is more relevant than ever right now. And I almost feel like the filmmakers might have known a little too much. And I'm going to look them all up. Welcome to episode three of the Andyplex. This is a special quarantine episode. I'm calling it a quarantine episode because A, I'm quarantined, and B, it's just me because I am quarantined. I am going solo this time, guys. And as you know, my show is based on hearing about a journey of a person in filmmaking or show business and hearing their kind of their story, their origin story, their genesis. And it's a, a talk podcast where we we riff on films we pick a film that is near and dear to the person coming on the show and so uh i was like well you know what i'll just do me i'll do me by myself so here we are i've never done a mono host podcast before so this is a first for me we'll see how it goes so far so good i'm used to looking at the person in the eye across from me and uh so i've just given myself a little eye line here it's um a Ghostbusters toy. It's a mummy toy. He's about where eyeline wise where the guest sitting across from me at the table here in my living room would be. So uh, thank you, mummy from Ghostbusters for the eyeline. Now I want to say first off that the last episode judgment dazed, I'm extremely proud of as of the first episode foggy days, but judgment days, we talk about the coronavirus outbreak beginning. This was on May. This was on March 11th. Today is the 25th, so it's been exactly two weeks, and I've got to say, in the last two weeks, so much has happened that it feels like the last episode was last season or, or five seasons ago, even though this is the only season so far. But uh, I'm really, really proud of that episode. Uh, shout out to Ryan Grassmeyer. He and I really riffed deep into Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and we talked about the beginning of this outbreak. But in the last two weeks, <clears throat> we have seen quarantines in all cities. And I'm in here in L.A. and uh, no exception. So sitting here in quarantine by myself in my pajamas, which has become the apocalypse uh, outfit of choice. And I wanted to make sure I get the photo of 20 days later for the show uh, with me in my robe and my pajama pants because that's been my outfit. <laughs> so, you know... You conjure up images of hazmat suits and all that, but it is really a, a, a pajama outfit that has become the official outfit of the 2020 quarantine here in the U.S. and uh, in worldwide. Sorry, I'm going to probably bring out a few different voices this time, so it's not just this guy the whole time, which it is. <laughs> but um, anyway, I I knew that this film was going to get involved as soon as things started happening, and uh, I really didn't want to do another kind of apocalyptic movie right after an apocalyptic movie like Terminator, but it felt so fitting, and people are really resonating with uh, Judgment Dazed, and um, I was afraid people wouldn't really want to listen to stuff that's kind of apocalyptic-themed, but they do, and I think people are all kind of in this boat together where we're like, oh my god, you know, what do we do? How do we approach this? Is sitting around and watching Netflix really going to save humanity? And the answer is yes. And two weeks ago, uh, Ryan and I were 
probably leaning more on the side of are we being too paranoid here? Is this is this kind of like laying down and dying? We're just going to quit. We're just going to cancel the world. We're going to cancel this. We're going to cancel that. You know, we have sports sports shutting down. Um, any gathering of ten or more now is uh, is no good. Um, You've probably been getting a nice daily intake of memes and hopefully a few videos to help explain the virus. And I keep watching all the stuff just so I'm like as informed as I can. So this episode, I really want to go into this outbreak, how it's affecting me, how it's affecting everybody. And then um, I really, really want to take a hard look at this film, 28 Days Later, which is one of my favorite movies. And I've seen a lot, but it has been a few years since I've seen it. I think about three years and I, uh, I was about to watch it last night, and then I said, no, I want to do, do my format. really want to have that fresh look at it. So I'm going to talk for a while. I will talk about the making of a bit, uh, and then, like usual, uh, watch the film and talk about that. But um, regarding, you know, two weeks ago, I just want to say that now I've, it's a totally different world. Ryan is not even in, the, in L.A. anymore. He went uh, back to his family in, uh, in Colorado, and he's with them, so... I'm really glad he's with them. I miss my family. I'm pretty much isolated here from my family in L.A. I have one cousin, my cousin Mark, and his wife Amanda, and two kids. I want to give a shout-out to them in Long Beach, and uh, I would love to go down and see them, but again, quarantine. So it's like you either have your immediate family around you or your roommate or whoever it is that's kind of shut in with you as your, your buddies in this, or... Like me, you live alone, and thanks to one roommate, um, sorry, one uh, neighbor, Brian Strat, who's another son of Carpenter, he and I have kind of quarantined together, so he lives directly below me, and then we're keeping it airtight. I don't want to cheat on him, and I'm sure he's not going to cheat on me. <laughs> no cheating. But then again, yesterday I ran out to a store and I had very limited exposure and people were very good about keeping their distance and you could really feel the don't get near me vibe from everybody and I'm sure I was putting it out too. I had my gloves on, had this like big coat on um, and I very much went in there like a Terminator and was just like, I'm going to get the gonna get the bread, I'm going to get the peanut butter and the, the meats and anyway, I was really happy that uh, where I decided to go uh, wasn't that overrun. Um, and they had, a, they had a fair amount of things, so that was really exciting. And then I came home and was like, I did something today. <laughs> and then you do your little protocol. I kick, the, kick my shoes off at the door and wash my hands at the sink. And I feel like Kevin Spacey in Outbreak, you know, doing the little strip down. And here we are. Uh, we are a world riddled by a pandemic, by COVID-19, otherwise known as the coronavirus. And everything's shutting down. I just got a call from my manager at my hotel. I work at a, I work at Sofitel in the banquet department as kind of a, a stabilizer job while I do all my film and TV stuff and podcasts and all that. Uh, and he just told me that they're going to be shutting down the whole hotel for a month. So that's crazy. So yeah, uh, pretty much we're digging in deeper every day and you're hearing about more and more quarantines. And then I'm like, in two weeks or whatever, they give us the two-week kind of number figure a projection of that's how long it takes to kind of see how if you know symptoms are going to manifest themselves and then you can go out and be with people that have also quarantined for two weeks theoretically we're all good now but that just seems like a disaster waiting to happen i feel like in my gut this is going to go on for a while and 
when it does indeed blow over, it's not going to be the same world that, that we, we had before. This is crazy. This is historic, um, and it's affecting every country in the world, people across the board. Yes, older people and people with respiratory issues are more at risk, but there are people dying now that are young, uh, way younger than I am, that seemed pretty much healthy. Moral of the story is we don't know a lot about this thing. It just mutated in December and started attacking humans. So this is a strain that wasn't attacking humans before and is now attacking humans. So we have virtually no immunity to it. My goodness. Um, it's the stuff of every good sci-fi horror with two main clauses. You can, you can be carrying it and not know it and spreading it. That's horrifying. And also it multiplies faster than any virus that we've seen. It's much faster than a cold or a flu, and it can quickly just spread super fast. And that those two clauses are what really make it just utterly horrifying. And uh, and we don't we don't know about it, so we really just need to know as much as we can. Now we know that the whole idea of this social distancing thing, this quarantine thing, social distancing is a term that I did not know two weeks ago when we did the Terminator episode. I would have brought it into play because I feel like the Terminators would want us to social distance so that they can get us. Social distancing. Uh, my mom doesn't like that term. She likes physical. You know, it's a much longer term she uses. It's like physical separation yet emotional support like it's the whole thing social distancing is just like so cold she's like oh it's such a cold term and it is a cold term but right now you can save the world by sitting around in your pajamas watching netflix and playing on the internet and playing video games by yourself you can it's important the whole idea is to beat this thing spread out the effect the affection zone so that the hospital beds don't get overrun. They don't have a ventilator for everybody. Only so many people can get into the healthcare system and out of the healthcare system and get the help they need at a time. So the whole idea is to sit around and do nothing and, um, and yeah, and let things play out. Um, it seems to be going well so far, I think, but doing daily check-ins. And I think the last thing we need to do is all go out at the same time in two weeks or in a week. And I can see how people are going to want to crack. You know, after a few days of this, I'm already starting to go nuts. My beard's getting super long. Kind of fits the fits the whole insane thing. I feel like King Lear pacing around. And uh, in my robe. <laughs> um, this is crazy. You know, uh, it, it's, it's utterly nuts. And I got to say, what's really helping me is projects and working on things. You know, sure, I've watched more Netflix in the last week than my whole life before that. But I'm grateful for, for having, you know, things to watch, things to do, watching a lot of films. And, uh, but I'm really grateful for the work that I have, the sketch stuff I've been doing with No Brow, with Neil Gershon and, uh, and Ryan and Brian, and also the, this podcast. And I'm really grateful that I have this podcast. So go out and do something. Well, go in and do something, stay in and do something. Um, I can't tell you how, how good it feels just to have something that you can control, especially when the world is crumbling around you. Um, it, it, it just Even something small, like making a little video makes me feel better, a little Insta story. I've been doing readings from um, Max Brooks' Zombie Survival Guide, which he wrote before World War Z, and it's eerily 
not as funny anymore because it, it reads like a straight manual how to survive a zombie outbreak. It's not really funny innately. Like you read it and it's in-depth, it's serious. What weapons to use, what terrain that you want to cover, how you want to protect yourself, shelter, like surviving and f- picking your team that you're going to build to survive this apocalypse. And I'm reading it and I'm usually laughing my ass off and I'm not laughing anymore. It's like, this is real now. This is for real. And decided I want to do 28 Days Later. And I remember, um, I really truly remember when I got this movie in DVD in 2003 on DVD. And I saw it in the theater. I saw this film in the theater uh, and I loved it. It was the summer of 03. I want to say it was May 03 or so. And I'm at Miami at this time. My, uh, my alma mater, University of Miami, Florida. Go Canes! Back when there was schools and movie theaters and all that. So I'm in the movie theater watching this movie, and it's blowing my mind. And I'm like, man, this is too gritty and real. And I'm really getting into the zombie. I've become a huge zombie buff. In fact, a friend of mine actually gave me that zombie handbook. Um, a friend of mine, Zach Chasen, from, uh, he also went to the University of Miami. But anyway, uh, so I was like, oh, I see this trailer for a, a movie. It's like revolutionary, revolutionizing zombie horror. The new thriller from Danny Boyle, 28 Days Later. And I was like, oh, my God, I got to go see this. A new zombie movie, a new take. And I've been obsessed with Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, um, you know, the George Romero, and just pretty much absorbing as much zombie content as I could. So I went into this as like a zombie buff, and I was blown away. And I remember feeling like this doesn't feel like your usual zombie fair at all it feels much more real and therefore i'm not trying to detract from night of living dead and dawn of the dead because those are great movies those are amazing and they're horrifying and i throw some of my favorite movies but this one had this docu edgy grittiness to it and it's it left me really haunted like this could really happen you know and, and, and that's definitely what the movie's trying to go for and i remember i got my dvd and for the first time i popped it in and i watched the making of it's called pure rage the making of 20 Days Later. I watched it again yesterday. It's on YouTube if you guys want to check it out, if you don't have the DVD or Blu-ray. But Pure Rage, The Making of 20 Days Later. And I remember watching this in 03 and thinking, I really wish they'd talk more about the filmmaking, more about putting the movie together. As a film student at Miami, I'm in film school. You know, I'm watching all these DVDs to really get all these bonus features into my brain about making movies, hearing people's accounts. And all I could remember from this documentary of the making of 20 Days Later was it just talked about how the the idea of a pandemic is just right around the corner, is really what's going to be the major struggle for, for humanity, that we're just around the corner from another big pandemic, that we another big outbreak of a horrible disease that attacks us, that we can't control, that spreads so fast, we don't know much about it. We're one mutation away. And it talks about how the probability of that happening is actually really, really high. And I remember thinking, man, they didn't even talk about the making of the movie. But I watched it again yesterday. They definitely do. Um, Danny Boyle chimes in, the director, writer, uh, the director, and Alex Garland, the writer, who have teamed up a bunch um, after this film as well. They did Sunshine, The Beach, before and after this film. There was The Beach in 2000, um, written by Alex Garland, directed by Danny Boyle. Then it was this film, and then they did a movie called Sunshine, which I actually am a huge fan of Sunshine. It didn't get nearly the, the kind of esteem and clout that 20 Days Later has. It's about trying to reboot the sun, 
So we'll, we'll get to that. Hopefully, if humanity decides, decides to survive this outbreak and we continue on, um, and we'll worry about the sun later. But right now, it's all about 20 Days Later, and this movie is about a zombie apocalypse happening. And there are so many similarities with this outbreak and the outbreak we're experiencing right now. Um, it doesn't make people into rageful zombies that attack each other, but the idea that it spreads so fast. Now, granted, in 20 days later, you get bit instantly. You get scratched or bit. You turn in a few seconds. But this coronavirus is spreading so fast that it's really showing how quickly and dangerously this thing can move around um, without us really being on top of it at all. Within a couple of days, you know, it can be anywhere. You jump on a plane nowadays, and it's really just... Man, it's it's happening. It's happening right now. And I'm watching this I'm watching Pure Rage again yesterday and now it's a totally different story in the backdrop of the coronavirus attacking the world. And this movie is about a handful of survivors that made it. And it is twenty it's twenty days later after the first outbreak. So in twenty eight days, society's gone, countries are gone, most people are dead, and it's a brilliant setup where Killian Murphy, who plays Jim, he um, he wakes up in the beginning of the film. He was in a coma because of a bike accident for 28 days. And he wakes up in a hospital that's desolate. There's nobody around. And he's completely alone. And you get these images of a guy walking around London, downtown London, just desolate, nothing going on. And all you can think about is, that's me right now. <laughs> I'm walking around desolate in a desolation state, and there's nobody around. And, you know, if you do go out shopping, it's not the same world that you left a week ago, two weeks ago. It's creepy. It's quiet. You still hear the hum of traffic, barely. You still hear a car go by. You might hear the guy picking up the trash. But it's eerily quiet. And you're like, is there a world out there? So this film could not be more pertinent now. And Danny Boyle said, even in the making of, that that he wants this to be a cautionary tale about how this will occur. Um, it's a matter of when. You know, it's like, we're just, here it is. You know, this thing mutated, and then boom. It's attacking us. And it's a really horrifying, scary, uh, scary disease. And the problem is, we don't really understand how it works exactly yet. Like, we understand that it attacks your immune system. It kind of co-ops your immune system and takes over your immune system and makes your immune system attack itself, which is horrifying. That much we get. But how people are affected, it seems we're still waiting on a lot of data to come in on, you know, who's more susceptible. Why are people dying that are healthy? What's going on? There's just so many factors at play. But I think what ultimately makes it so scary is that it takes over your own immune system and makes it attack itself. That's just terrifying. You know, um, and in 20 days later, the creature in this horror is us. It's us. It takes us over as any good zombie piece. We're the we're the monster. You know, a healthy person is attacked by this virus and they become an unhealthy person and then they spread it. Your humanity is stripped away and you become pure rage and you just want to attack and you just want to bite and scratch. And then it spreads within seconds, within seconds. So this thing spreads so fast, it wipes out the whole planet in a matter of days. You know, 
And that's that's scary. And as the population of the world continues to grow, which it does, they're saying it's leveled off to a degree. As we populate the planet more and more and we can jump on a plane and be halfway across the world in a matter of hours, you know, this eventuality of a pandemic is just more and more real. So here we are. And, uh, you know, it's it's almost kind of giving me the creeps just talking about it right now. I want to just stay focused on the film uh, and not get too lost in it. But this is uh, this is no joke, people. And um, I don't know how it's going to play out. And I know I'm having nightmares about choking to death. And I think the, the whole idea of, of asphyxiating to death is the scariest way to go. Um, I don't know if there's like an exit poll when people die. Like, oh, you know, there's that thing where like drowning is actually peaceful. And I was always like, well, how do you know like drowning is peaceful? Is there an exit poll? Like, as excuse me, sir, you're drowning. Can you just sign here if this is peaceful or not? There's a checkbox here. It's, on, it's a, you know, it's waterproof paper. So it won't, the ink won't run here. here right. Check either here. Yes or no. So it's like, okay, uh, anyway, not to get into the whole dying subject too much, but the whole idea of, of dying and being asphyxiated uh, and having your immune system basically taken over is very alien-esque. It's like this thing that's going to come in and it's going to turn you into something else. It's going to co-opt your body. Uh, we're dealing with body horror. you know. Um, movies like The Thing and um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers are definitely... I think all kind of stem from that whole idea of your body being taken over and the whole idea that you're going to be taken over and used as a weapon against a fellow man that, you know, you can get bit and then you'll turn on your mom and your dad and your brother and your sister, just like that. Like that's horrifying, you know? So yeah, I just, um, ah, anyway. So Danny Boyle definitely says that this movie is a cautionary tale. And I'm watching this making of last night, and here it is. <laughs> here we are. And it's such a scary documentary now um, about the idea that this thing can just take us all over and wipe us out before we even know what's going on. Government shut down before we know what's going on. And I think a lot of people don't really feel like our leadership's that good right now. Uh, I know here in, in the U.S., our president, who is our, our spokesperson, is giving very muddled accounts of what's going on and it's very it's just so obvious he's lying <laughs> that he doesn't really know what's going on uh so i think people are just confused and lost and and feel like there is not a lot of leadership and really the the, the base primary mission right now is just to sit home and and if you have family and friends with you roommates then you bunker up with them but otherwise just bunker up and wait for orders <laughs> So, you know, this film, 28 Days Later, uh, 28 Days suddenly seems like a long amount of time because two weeks ago it feels like 100 years ago. So that was 14 days. That's half of 28. And here we are. So 28 Days Later, I remember thinking, man, that's, that's not that long. But it really is a long time. Time really has slowed down for us all. And we're all scared now. I'm not the same man I was when I recorded that podcast two weeks ago. You know, I was like, man, we're, we're giving in. We're quitting. This is We're letting the, the, the terrorists win here by just kind of throwing down our arms and just giving up. But now I truly am on the bandwagon of we've got to all do our part with this quarantine. It's, it's so important. And if you know people that aren't honoring it or, or that just don't seem to be taking this thing seriously, talk some sense into them because it's the people that aren't informed that are just – ignoring all the warnings that are really going to really going to mess us up in the end. And uh this this is serious and uh I I feel like lately life has gotten so much more real and I 
it can just feel like I look at a I look at my wall and it just seems more crisp and more there than it's like was I just asleep all my life? It's like these moments of like oh my gosh, this is really 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 happening. Uh, everything's just so real right now and. Anyway, I'm usually trying to be a little more funny on this show, and I'm usually known for being kind of a clown joker kind of type, but <sighs> it's kind of hard to find jokes right now when we're facing such a serious thing. Anyway, um, so yeah, Danny Boyle is one of my favorite uh, filmmakers. Transpotting obviously blew my mind. The Beach, um, 28 Days Later, Sunshine, and then he's gone on to do you know, Slumdog Millionaire. He's awesome, and his films are really good at accessing the everyman and the kind of getting into the nooks and crannies of society and really good at taking a good hard look at whatever he's trying to capture in a very gritty urban way. I mean, transpotting brilliant portrayal of heroin junkies and, you know, you think, Oh, heroin junkies, just let them die or, you know, whatever. And that part of society. And then he puts a lens on them and they, they're people. So here in 20 days later, these survivors are real. They feel real. They shot it on on mini on DV cameras, and it looks gritty, and it looks like a documentary, and that was obviously intentional. And they also said in the making of, I want to say that being able to shoot on digital, they were able to set up and do the lighting all really, really fast. So they got those shots of London bare and, and basically desolate. They were able to set up first thing in the morning as soon as the sun came up, and they would have, you have critical time before people actually start to come around. So they would do some lockups. But then you can't lock up. It's called a lockup. If you've ever been a production assistant or know anyone that has been a production assistant, they've done a lockup. I've done plenty of lockups. You stand somewhere. Excuse me, uh, excuse me, sir. You can't walk here. We're, we're filming. Uh, you can't walk into the. This is actually the, the shot. If you come through here, then. And then they're like, oh, what movie is it? And, and or they're like, eh, screw you. And they, you know, shuffle off. I actually prefer when they don't have any interest in what you're doing because if they have interest and they're like asking you who's in the movie, they're asking you a million questions. When is it going to come out? Who's producing it? In L.A. you get a lot of like people are just so informed about movies in L.A. They're like, oh, yeah, who's the uh, who's the executive producer? Who's the production manager? And you're like, who's the craft service guy on, on that one? And I'm like, hey, man, you know, actually, I really got to just got to get you to be quiet and, and, and go away, please. So they're locking up London trying to get it to look desolate for these shots of uh, Killian Murphy walking around, and um, it's stunning. It's haunting. And then shooting it in mini-DV gives it that gritty, real documentary look. And they use a lot of, like, wide angles to kind of show you, as if it was, like, security cam footage of, of, you know, that there's cameras everywhere, and they really nailed it. And this was, you know, 18 years ago, where that was still pretty revolutionary. I'm curious to see. I haven't really watched the movie um I, I have seen the movie in HD, but not on a 180-inch screen. I'm curious to see if it'll look kind of even more gritty, but I'm sure it will. I personally think it, it serves the film tremendously. Some other weird things that of note are that, you know, this is a man-made. In 20 Days Later, they're trying to suppress rage in monkeys, so they're trying to suppress the whole idea of knocking rage and anger out, basically from a medical angle instead of like a psychological you know therapy angle like is a way to just treat rage it backfires and then it's nothing but rage these monkeys have nothing but rage they bite a human it starts spreading now a lot of people believe that this coronavirus might have been engineered and that whole idea of man-made engineering is horrifying uh it's bad enough that this thing exists period but potentially man-made like who would do that 
Like the idea that there's evil enough in the world that they would unleash this thing on their fellow man is a horrifying idea. Now, in 20 Days Later, it was an accident. Um, but also, also they're raising the whole idea that we shouldn't be meddling in, you know, the whole idea of like Prometheus stealing fire from the gods. Like we shouldn't be meddling in affairs that are well beyond us, that are, are playing God. Like in Jurassic Park, for example, uh, you know, we're trying to engineer dinosaurs and put them in a theme park in a nice and neat, tidy package. And we very well know that when you get down to the nitty gritty, it's not a neat, tidy package. You're dealing with billions of years of evolution, you know, tens of millions of years of evolution. Um, and here we are, we're unlocking the genome. The humankind has split the atom. We've, we've done so many millions of cool things. We're awesome. But then it's like, are we also, is there a little bit of hubris still going on here? And then not just it being an accident, but the idea that somebody is engineering a disease to, to attack us is, is scary to me. Um, Truly, truly, a, truly a horrifying thing. But, you know, when this movie was made, it was the uh, it was the foot and mouth disease. A bunch of livestock had to be killed. And, you know, you had the mad cow disease um, and uh, you had all that. And then it was like just a matter of time, says Danny Boyle, that, well, it's going to jump to humans and then we're going to be the next on the hit list. And I'm watching this documentary, you know, in the backdrop of coronavirus, and it's just like, man, man, this is nuts. Anyway, so here I am sitting in L.A. in quarantine. Here's my day. I wake up. I'm really happy I got up before noon today. I really am. I feel good about myself. Where usually if I got up anytime after 8, I still feel like a piece of of crud. Have my dad yelling at me in my head, go do something with yourself. Uh... Now I feel like if I go out and get the mail and come back, it's like, well, I did my day. <laughs> so your world gets really, really small. Uh, one of my good friends and fellow filmmakers, uh, John Graham, he's, he and I have gone camping a bunch together. Uh, shout out to him. And his words always come into my head. And we, we were sitting there camping a few years ago. And he's like, you know, when you're camping, your world just gets smaller. And that's why it's such a treat and such a it's such a relief because, you know, you go out there, you're in there, you're, you've got nothing going on, all your stimulus has been removed. You're like, well, I'm just going to cook dinner. I'm just going to make a fire. I'm just going to put some tea on for boil or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fix my flashlight. It's like your one little task, and that's really soothing in a lot of ways. So on one hand, they're saying that this might be the best thing for us all, that we all, especially Americans, we work more hours than any other nation in the world. We actually, like, are kind of workaholics. I am. I don't know if I consider myself a workaholic. <laughs> I want to be, um, but I can't get. I can't get out of work soon enough. Um, I do stuff on my own, and I don't really consider that work. I guess it's how you label something work or not work. But you know, overall, as workers, the U.S. we are working more than ever, and then now suddenly we're home with our families. Our dogs are happier. Our kids are happier. I just FaceTimed with my brother and his family yesterday, and the kids were just over the moon. Um, You know, they're happy kids anyway, so I don't know if that's a good relativity point. But, you know, hearing like, oh, daddy's suddenly home all the time, you know, and usually he's gone for 12 hours. I never even see the guy. We're all together, you know. So there's that element that, okay, maybe this is kind of medicine to a degree that when this does indeed blow over, and hopefully it does, um, we really should – 
make more time for our families, make more time for ourselves, really be quiet and be calm. But now I think we're starting to deal with, you know, it's a pendulum swing in the other direction. What we're suddenly all home. How long are we going to be able to maintain? How long are we going to be able to lock ourselves in before we slip and we go out? And there's that element even in 20 Days Later, you know, we're the survivors that we follow, there's some mistakes made. And then that costs them, you know, a zombie gets one of the guys because uh, he got a little sloppy. And then a zombie got him. And he had to be killed by Naomi Harris, who has that machete. And she is ruthless with that machete, let me tell you. When I think of 20 Days Later, 20 Days Later, I think of Naomi Harris with a machete. And just how, as soon as somebody got bit, there were two seconds ago, they were your friend. They're not your friend anymore. Got to cut them down. Boom. So I haven't watched the film this go yet. I, I want to hold off a little more. The temptation is there to keep talking about it. But um, I life is somewhere between 20 Days Later and The Shining right now for, for us all. <laughs> so in a way, it's kind of fun to camp out. And I'm in my slippers right now and I'm in my pajamas. And I can't wait to watch movies and pour myself a little bit of whiskey later. And I definitely have been probably drinking a little more than I should. But here we are. Uh, my beard is looking pretty long. <laughs> so uh, I just don't see it really ending for the foreseeable future. Okay, so this is a mono host show. First time ever for me. And uh, so I said I'm going to do my own origin story. This is a, a show where we talk about origin stories. So... Um, here's mine. So it's always so much easier to ask other people about their origin stories than it is to ask yourself, but here it is. So I honestly think, uh, my, my parents are really good at exposing me to films and my father growing up, my brother and I, who's two years younger than me and my brother Gianni, he and I, uh, or two, just two years apart and it was just, just the two of us. So we always kind of got stuck doing stuff together and, uh, usually if, our parents wanted us to watch a movie or, or whatever, then we watched it together. So my dad really made it a point to expose us to a lot of films. Uh, he was really into westerns, and um, he liked a lot of stuff. And I remember watching The Manchurian Candidate and really being blown away by it. And I remember it just started, and, uh, you know, the old one with uh, the old John uh, Frankenheimer one uh, with um, Frank Sinatra. And... It was black and white, and I'm thinking, man, I don't know if I'm going to be into this, and just being gripped by this movie. And that was one of many where he really exposed us. Uh, I remember seeing 2001, A Space Odyssey, really young. And um, and by the time Jurassic Park came out, that was really it. Uh, so I was about nine, and I thought, man, I really want to make movies, or I want to be part of this world. I want to get into this world. And uh, that's really where I think I started becoming a movie buff when I was 10 or so, 9, 10. And I just started running movies voraciously and studying them. And and then a couple of years later, I want to say I was 13 or 14, we started playing with my, my dad's video camera to make movies. And I remember having a sleepover party, which was the, the hot thing at the time, uh, you know, at that age. And having my, my good buddies all over. And we had a basement in my parents' house in Delaware. It's still there. Um, it's been turned into storage. But it was kind of our lair. We had a TV. We had the couches that all got retired from upstairs, ended up working their way downstairs, uh, TV screens that got burned out a little bit on the right side or whatever, they got sent down. So we had all these kind of almost functioning things down there to play with, and we loved it. For us, it was great. So we had a bunch of stuff, and we'd watch movies, and we'd hang out, and so we're having a sleepover party. And my buddy Rich Durkee, who actually just came to L.A. a month ago, and I'm really glad he came before all this 
corona nonsense. Obviously, wouldn't be able to come now. Uh, you know, came down those steps. Uh, we're all down there for the sleepover party. I want to say we're freshmen in high school, so I'm like 14. And he's like, we're going to make a movie. Get your camera, Andrew. Get your camera. Get your dad's camera. And then we got – it was an old – the one that you slung over your shoulder, you know, you put, you load the VHS tape right into it and tape on it. And we made a movie and it was called, this guy's called Jif and he's like this hero. He's kind of a Beowulf character. And, you know, we didn't really edit. We just did all in-camera editing and uh, it was real silly. And we would start to make these movies. And really that was the, that was the genesis for me. And then I started taking weekend classes. I went up to Philly to take these weekend classes um, for directing and filmmaking. And then I started getting into the multimedia program in, in high school, started doing the plays and it really kind of escalated. So by the time I was getting ready to graduate, I said I wanted to study film. I wanted to study motion pictures. And I want to make movies. And so I went off to the University of Miami in 2002 and did a four-year program down there. Met a lot of great people that I still keep up with out here in L.A. A lot of them are out here. It makes sense. Miami, warm weather, and film. Where are you going to go? L.A. Makes sense. So I really have that school to thank. A lot of my best friends and collaborators uh, came from that school and it's been just a blessing to have that community to tap into and and then um i graduated in 06 and then like i said i went out to uh, new mexico um and was working there for a while worked in no country for old men the terminator salvation i worked on a bunch of stuff uh, breaking bad and got to do some electric stuff started off paing on locations work because that's what you could get when you when you weren't in a union but the union out there you could jump department to department unlike New York or L.A., where every department has its own union um, group. So I was able to jump around and and, and do a lot of different stuff, and it was great. And I I got a lot of set experience. And after a while, I was doing really well as an electrician, which is lighting. Uh, You know, you set the lights up and you set the power and everything. And I was liking it, but I realized that I was probably getting hired more because I'm fun to be around. I'm a hard worker, don't get me wrong, but after a while, it was like, okay, once the kind of luster of just getting on set was enough, I said, I really want to focus on acting and writing. And so uh, I started doing that. And then I moved to um, I moved to L.A. in the end of 2011. So it was Thanksgiving 2011. Already been eight plus years. Crazy. That went so fast. Uh, but I was working on lower budget shows, uh, which, which are cool. A program called The Asylum. They do a lot of low budget movies, and a lot of them are really fun. And a lot of cool, but they crank movies out in like two weeks. And they don't pay that great. And, uh, you know, so it was good, but I was kind of like, I feel like I'm a 30 year old and everyone else is 20. These are my shoes here in a production assistant role or, or whatever. And also, just the amount of money they were paying me it just wasn't enough. And I was like, this isn't sustainable. And so I remember my buddy Rich King, he was like, why don't you get a job outside of the business and, uh, and then just keep making your own stuff and, you know, do that. And I was like, you know, that sounds great. And it was a big day for me when I was able to just do that. And until just a couple of weeks ago, that job was going strong. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, now that the apocalypse is here, uh, it was one of the first jobs to stop because, you know, I, it, well, restaurant jobs are over, gathering, gatherings of 10 or more are gone. My my work is gatherings of ten or more. You know, we do parties, we do banquets. So uh, all the all the parties pulled out at the same time, and they were starting to cancel in March. And then I yeah, I just heard from my food and beverage manager at the, at Sofitel, the hotel that I work at. Um, they are shutting down for a month, starting tomorrow. So yeah, we'll see how that job plays out. It probably will be one of the last jobs to kind of come back. So you know, got to figure out something here, but. Um, 
But yeah, it's really allowed me to focus on all the other stuff, like podcasts and making sketches. And I'm doing No Brow, the channel No Brow. I've been talking about that with uh, Neil Gershon and Brian Strat. We're cranking out stuff all the time, doing some animations. I get to do voiceovers. Check out No Brow and Living Alone is our first video. And then just go through all of our videos, check them all out. We talked about hot dogs last week with Ryan Grassmeyer. He got to play the hot, the talking sentient hot dog that we create in a lightning fryer. And then we have to take accountability for our creating life. So really, I'm, I'm most excited about that, that right now and, uh, and this podcast. Um, and I can't stress enough making your own stuff, how important it is for me. Um, I've talked about it before. I don't want to get back too much into that. But just having something that you can control and you can take ownership of is so vital, especially when the world's crumbling around you and you just it's, – it's saving my butt, I'll tell you that. So, yeah, um, I would like to make a living as an actor. I've, I've gotten paid to do acting and voice before. I really want to make a, a more of a push to get more sustainable doing that. I'm not the only one. It's it's a kind of a tough world. And everyone says, just keep doing your own stuff. And that's really the way to go. And so I want to use this time um, as best I can to not just watch all of Netflix, which I will do, which is definitely a goal of mine, all of it, but also to have, you know, more of a portfolio. And this is all said and done. And when the world does come back to normal, which it will, normal, quote unquote, you know, we'll see how normal it is, but It'll be the new normal, but it will more or less go back to how it was uh, once industry reopens again and, and all that. And I want to be ready. I want to be ready with uh, a, a, bo- a boosted packet for my acting, uh, my writing. So I've just been at it every day and, you know, I have nothing but time now. So I have no more excuses. It's, it's easy to kind of distract yourself with all the kinds of other things. And, you know, I'm definitely guilty of starting a lot of things and not finishing them all. Um, so just trying to, just trying to finish as much as I can and, um, keep, keep moving and just keep doing it. And it, it brings me joy and it brings me day to day joy. You always think, oh, I can't wait till this is done. I can't wait till this is done. And you're with these projects for a while and, and seeing across the finish line is a true rush, but then I start to get sad again. <laughs> it's like you start to miss them. I know Stephen King says that he actually gets more of a rush from meeting the characters and being in that world than, um, than finishing the book and, and turning it in. Uh, so I really, I really kind of appreciate that tremendously. So, um, yeah, that's more or less my origin story. I want to do more features. I have gotten to co-produce uh, a couple of features, which, which has been really cool. And, um, I just want to keep going and yeah, once our body of work for no brow gets, gets bigger and it's getting bigger all the time, I think eventually we're going to start focusing on a feature. So, so yeah, just trying to keep at it, man. And, um, I love it and I love LA and I love Hollywood and you know, it can be a a tough, sad world. Uh, but I really just, yeah, I really, I like people and it's, it's kind of a lonely world and we're all trying to, trying to make it. And it's, it's sometimes I get, Oh man, am I really ever going to make it? You know, but you can't look at it that way. You just got to look at it like you're doing it. You're doing what you love. This is your passion and you're doing the work. And that's why I want to do a show about hearing people's journeys and also just getting to geek out and nerd out with everybody. Like, I want to see people as fellow writers on the storm, not necessarily competition for a job, because you can get in that mentality of that scarcity mentality. And, and granted, you know, we're seeing it on a macroscopic level here with the coronavirus, but and not to get all biblical again. But, uh, you know, if you look at that 
look at the person that you just met or, or someone you've been collaborating with, or you, you know, and you want to just get to know them better and you want to hear their journey. And that's to me so exciting. I want to hear people's journeys. I want to, you know, we're all people and we're all just trying to do our best, you know, and at the end of the day, that's, that's it. You know, it's as simple as that. And I like people and I can't wait for this quarantine to be over. And I want to, I'm going to keep doing the show. I'm going to figure out a way to pipe somebody in next time. This will be my only solo one because I really want this show to not just be about talking about a movie, um, which is great. And I, I want to weave that into hearing the person's journey and, and hearing how that movie really inspired them. Um, so I guess with 28 Days Later, this movie really was a pivotal movie for me because it made me realize that it is real. <laughs> and that really kind of scared me more than I, I went in just wanting it to be a zombie movie. And I got that plus a lot more. So it was really inspiring to me that, you know, you create worlds when you make films. Um, and this movie is no different, you know, and it operates in this world, you know, we're in the UK and we're in Britain, but, um, it's, it's, it's just like, what if dot, dot, dot. And then we get to see it play out and we get to see all those rules kind of come into, come into play and we get to see this world, get life breathed into it and that's what's so inspiring so this movie is is a landmark movie for me i i remember watching it over and over again in 2003 and the the community you know the community experience of seeing the theater it was was staggeringly powerful and uh and then now it's just more prevalent than and relevant than than ever and um i i had to come back to it i just had to and it's haunting. It's hauntingly on the money right now. And um, it's really powerful. That's more or less my origin story in a nutshell. I probably would have talked longer if I had someone interviewing me. But uh, that's, that's, that's good enough. Um, I'm sure I'll be talking more on every episode. I get the luxury of having this be my show. And I get to unfold things as they happen per week. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to be watching 28 Days Later. Here. By myself. I'm really scared. This movie is just too real now. <laughs> it's too real. I can't do it. You know what? I'm changing movies to um, something a lot lighter. Maybe um, Free Willy? Yeah. I'll, and that's too sad, too. The, the whale. That's I, I always cry, even though he lives. Anyway, I just can't do it. The whale. That whale actor, man. How did they find that actor? How many whales did they have to go through in the casting process? You know? It was like, oh, well, we had a million whales, and... You know, finally, the uh, the very last one we auditioned, he just read great. You know, he was able to do the jump, which was was a requisite. But he just had this personality that we just latched onto. <laughs> that's my impression of, of casting in L.A., and uh, it's a terrible impression. That's not how it goes. All right, well, anyway, uh, thank you guys for listening to Just Me, and I'll be back shortly after watching the Danny Boyle 2002 thriller horror 28 Days Later. Oh, cool! You hit a helicopter right now. As I did that, it gives it a dramatic effect. That wasn't a, it wasn't added in. That helicopter was real. All right, guys, see you soon. I gotta say, music by John Murphy on this one, and that score is so hauntingly powerful and it's not your typical horror score and this isn't your typical horror we'll get to that in a second but this song is so creepy and sad 
And honestly, it has that kind of driving, slow rhythm, and it almost just kind of encapsulates how everyone feels right now in this quarantine with, uh, you know, the backdrop of the coronavirus and us all just kind of waiting around and waiting for orders. Like I said before, we're all just kind of burying ourselves. The whole idea is to uh, slow the spread of the virus, and I get all that. I just feel like that song kind of encapsulates everything right now. It's like this, we're all kind of lonely it has this haunting, lonely, like, dissonance to it, but also has this driving, like, build. And I feel like that driving build is either going to be towards us all finding, basically finding the cure and moving on or going insane. <laughs> like, what are the repercussions of this quarantine on us all? You know, sure, we're physically safe when we're isolated, but how about our minds, you know? It's hard to kind of make yourself into uh, kind of the person you were before where, you know, you could go out and you could do stuff. And they're saying, you know, the experts are saying really kind of regiment your day still, like have have like blocks of time where you do stuff. But at the end of the day, there's nobody really monitoring you because it's just you. Um, maybe you're with your folks or your family and there's a little bit of structure there like, oh, I'll have some social time with them and then some me time. But in the case of those pretty much like myself living alone or maybe you have one other person your girlfriend your spouse your boyfriend whatever maybe you guys are gonna go insane together so uh anyway that driving kind of rhythm of this movie is so good at at it, it captures that i mean the song truly captures what the movie also has which is this kind of existential side and even when there's these bleak shots of, you know, London abandoned, they're driving in the car, and they're, you know, these beautiful shots of them driving around, they're just desolation. It's hauntingly, powerfully beautiful. They're like these paintings, you know, um, this car driving alone on a highway towards the city that's burning, for example, really struck me this time, the, the part with the windmills. Um, you know, you get these ridiculous shots of just a stunning yet grim existential bleakness. And there's really a duality there. Um, and this film really, really has that duality down. And I think that's one of the reasons it's such a powerful film. And I got to say, watching it this time, I am brutally aware of its allegory more than ever. Obviously going in, reaching for this movie because of the coronavirus, because of the situation we're in. I think I chose it to really uh, champion those elements that we're all dealing with now. And I got to say, I'm watching this movie and it's, it's, it's too much of a documentary now. It's, it's too much of a, it feels too real. I had to stop it a few times and actually take a break. I got to say, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not proud to admit it, but, uh, yeah. Um, but really what I, the number one thing that I took away was that it really is a cautionary tale about how in a blink of an eye, we can go from a global system this global economy, this global society, and then, boom, the breakdown. And then it's just whoever you're with in your place. And that was so beautifully captured um, in the film. And those who will survive have to be able to, to fight, and they have to be able to kill a loved one immediately. And that's what's so sad about these things, is those infected are, are people we love. We love people. You know, I love people. It's funny, I'm not even, like, I wouldn't call myself a super people person all the time. There's days when actually I'm, I'm, you know, you're running your errands and you, you actually are like, you see somebody you know and you're like, oh, I just don't want to talk to anybody right now. Or, or I, didn't, I didn't shave or 
you know, maybe I have a booger in my nose or, or whatever. I just don't feel like being around people. Now I am so excited. I'm already like reaching out to my friends and saying, oh, when this is all blows over, if it does all blow over, hopefully it does. Uh, we're all going to go out for a, for a beer. We're all going to go out to a restaurant. We're all going to go out to a club. We're going to go dancing. I, I, it, it's only been like a couple of weeks, but it feels like a hundred years. And I was saying this earlier, how time has really slowed down, how we've broken down into the smallest portions of society. Now people, individuals quarantined and we're under the ground. So anyway, um, Danny Boyle and Alex Garland team up and these guys are, are, are absolute geniuses. Um, Alex Garland has gone on to write and direct, uh, he did Ex Machina in 2014, and I think that movie is, is another great movie about uh, technology and, and society and individuality, and he really, he really takes these themes, and he really looks at them hard. And then uh, he did another movie called Annihilation, which was really, actually, really striking, and a lot of people didn't like it. I think it, they marketed it as um, kind of a straight alien movie, kind of like an extraterrestrial encounter movie, kind of like Arrival, but... It's it's definitely more thinking, man. It's definitely more existential. So I think in 20 Days Later, you really get this nice hybrid of a zombie movie on its surface, a horror movie on its surface. But even in the making of Danny Boyle said that that's not what this movie is, that it's marketed that way. But this movie is really a cautionary tale about the breakdown of society and how quickly it can come from a, a virus, a, an epidemic, a pandemic, so here we are, 2020, um, 18 years after the movie was released. I saw it in 20 in 2003 because um, it's, a, it's a British film, and by the time I saw it in the States, it was like the summer of 03, and they marketed it for the summer release. And um, this is an $8 million movie that went on to do 82.7 mil worldwide, uh, rightfully so, because it really hit its mark. I think people got it. Um, it it's... It's fun enough, it's, it's exciting enough, and it's an adventure enough that it is a horror movie. And you can get that, all those horror elements. It's riveting, it's edge of your seat. It's scary, you know. It is a scary, scary horror film. But it is so much more. And now it's so scary because it's happening. <laughs> uh, we're, not, we're not seeing like zombies per se, but people that you love are getting infected. Uh, people are getting infected with this thing and their own immune systems are being co-opted by this virus and turned against themselves, ourselves. That's, to me, body horror at its, at its most profound. Again, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the thing, you're taken over, you're subverted from the inside rather than an attack from the outside. And it's, it's much scarier that way. I mean, Alien uh, in 1979 really, really captured a lot of those elements. I actually just watched um, Origins, A History of Alien. Extremely, extremely powerful documentary. I can't recommend it enough. I don't want to get off 28 Days Later too much, but it really showcased how the movie changed the game for so many reasons and brought into play, like, rape you know this thing rapes you and, and and impregnates you so in a culture where mostly women were being exposed to this fear uh, men got to go into the movie theater as well and we collectively as a society got to see this thing rape everybody uh, and um, you know that that takeover from within and again there's that existential pacing of slow build slow build and by the time that the chestburster scene happens it's pretty well into the movie you're about a third into the movie um so it's not like it's the first scene. You get the slow, brooding, existential isolation element, which uh, obviously they're on a spaceship. 
very far away from Earth, but now we're all on Earth and we're alone. So, we, you know, we're still tapping into those themes. And like I said before, we're kind of in this hybrid between 28 Days Later and The Shining where we're afraid of this killer disease, this killer virus, and now, now we're all home um, with our families. And as the memes are going around, of course, they're Shining memes, and it's like Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall and, and you know, Danny Lloyd in the car, and it's like, oh, a, few, a little bit of time away with, with the family. What could go wrong, you know? So it's woven into the fabric of our society. Um, these films are really these allegories and these cautionary tales about what can happen and what can break down and society breaking down, and we have a fascination with them. I mean, horror is a popular genre. It's still a popular genre. Um, Alien really uh, changed the game with sci-fi horror, and here you could consider this a sci-fi horror. You, you, you could look at it that way, but it's really just, like I said, one little little tweak off of not being science fiction at all, but being real. So um, I do want to touch on some of the allegorical things. Immediately right in the beginning, um, you see a monkey strapped down very much like in Clockwork Orange with Malcolm McDowell. Uh, and Clockwork Orange strapped down and forced, eyes open, forced to see all this violence and all this, yeah, all this violence, basically. And I didn't, I didn't catch that similarity with, with Clockwork Orange the very first time I saw this movie. It wasn't until this viewing that that's how the movie opens up. You see mankind doing all these brutal things through a TV screen. So you're already like, okay, this is kind of about media this is about society you know these themes are already introduced immediately subliminally by just seeing a tv screen and then we get to see this monkey strapped down and forced to watch all this horrible stuff that mankind's doing and then you know the movie opens up with these burglars breaking into the lab and the guy's like no you can't let the monkey out he's infected with rage pure rage you know and then the guy's like what are you talking about but and i remember as you know, a younger person seeing this, I thought he was kind of just being a little bit like poetic when he said that there was rage that these monkeys were infected with. But they uh, actually are infected with rage and then they're trying to suppress rage. I didn't fully understand that when I first saw this movie, you know, 17 years ago, but um, when I was 19. But, you know, they're trying to suppress rage and then in so doing create like a super strain of rage as if you could kind of boil down rage and focus it. And obviously they're trying to stop it, but he's like, before you can stop it, you must first learn. So it's like, they're creating like a super strain of rage and then it gets out. And then that's what this virus is. It's pure rage. So that's a very allegorical look, uh, which I, I, you know, eat that stuff up. I love the kind of symbolism here that it's our rage as a society that's going to kind of bring us down. And it's true, like rage and fear are all kind of, they're the darker side, the kind of shadow side, as Jung calls it, you know, Carl Jung. And I don't want to get too much into Jung. I, I need to read all of him. But um, just these negative sides of us that we have to be aware of. And right now, you know, fear fear is a survival tactic. Like, okay, you see, uh, you know, a hot stove, you're not going to put your hand on it because you're afraid of it, rightfully so. You put your hand on it, you get burned. Or you see a car blowing down the road, you don't run out in front of the car because you're going to get hit. Like, this is survival. You know, um, animals at the watering hole, if a lion was stalking them, they would have to run. So we're, hum- you know, we're humans, but we are also animals. And we're so close 
to being animals again. And we talked about this last week with Ryan um, in Judgment Days, but how quickly, like, we're, we're, we're animals again. All of a sudden, we're all interested in what? Survival? Food? Shelter? The basics, you know? So now I think once the adrenaline of finding your own shelter and all that is, is over, then, then it's a waiting game. And I don't know how long it's going to be before we all go insane because we are animals that were bred. You know, we're, um, we moved around. In fact, we kind of broke the whole law of nature by farming, kind of cheated there. And they say that was our biggest evolutionary step, um, that we farm so therefore we don't have to just rove around and look for food. So there's this kind of woven into our DNA, there's this kind of nomad in us all that wants to go out and, and do stuff. And here we are suppressing that. So I'm worried that the animal and the human, when will that converge again? Um, so obviously staying inside is still the best move. Exercise, I actually am really slacking on the exercise front. Um, so I really got to do that. And, uh, you know, I think that's key because, um, I know when I do do it, I'm like, oh man, I really needed that. Like, oh crap. I really needed that worse than I thought. (laughs) You know, it's not just, oh, let me exercise to kill some time. No, I'm like, I do it. And then I'm like, oh my goodness. So as soon as I'm done this, I'm going to go exercise. But anyway, so this whole thing is really an experiment in, you know, man versus human and where that line is. And that line gets blurred when things go south and they are going south right now. And I've had people reach out to me and say, hey, man, should I get a gun? You know, like, am I, should I you know, be worried about the, the limited resources? What happens when the trucks start, you know, stop pumping in the food and when all that starts to happen? And here we are in a major city. I'm like, should we even be in L.A.? Is this a, the worst place to be in a couple of weeks if you listen to this? And L.A. is just wiped out and I'm gone. Probably should have left, but I'm going to stick it out. I live here. I pay rent here. Um, as far as I know, I'm going to owe rent on April 1st. It's only six days away, but I'm sorry, seven days away. Still got a week. We'll see what happens with the stimulus package. Uh, I just saw that while I was watching 20 Days Later that Prince Charles tested positive um, for corona. Wow. It seems like every time I go to do a, a movie, it's only like two hours long and, and, and you know, you keep getting updates. Last time we found out about Tom Hanks while we were watching Terminator 2. And, uh, well, so anyway, um, pure rage. So we have this rage in us all. And what if we were to kind of siphon that and put it all into one concentrated dose and then that became a virus that infected us all? So it's very allegorical. Um, right now we're seeing fear. We're seeing the breakdown. And I think anger and aggression comes from fear when – you take somebody or you take an animal and you put it in a corner and you corner it, what's it going to do? It's going to bite you. The more you kind of crank up that pressure of putting you in a corner, and believe me, we're all getting in a corner faster than we realize. So in 20 Days Later, we open up with Jim, played by Killian Murphy, who's our lead. And uh, Danny Boyle picked actors that we didn't recognize, again, trying to make it more real and visceral, which he pulled off, believe me. Believe you, believe me, you did that, Danny. If you're listening, you scared everyone. You probably realized that by now. It worked. So anyway, Killian Murphy, who was really birthed from this film, you got to see him again in uh, Chris Nolan movies, the Batman uh, movies, played the Scarecrow in Batman Begins, which was only two years later. And then um, you saw him again in uh, Inception and then in Dark Knight, uh, Dark Knight. So, and then Dark Knight Rises, right? 
Michael's in Dark Knight Rises. Anyway, Chris Nolan and Killian Murphy are definitely in bed together, um, figuratively. Not sure about physically, but uh, anyway, who knows? Could be. Hey, great minds, you know? Um, <laughs> so, Killian Murphy opens up 20 days later. He was in an accident. He's in a hospital that is desolate. He finds a little bit of, like, these vending machines that are brutally ripped apart. Uh, and after you've seen the movie once, going back and, and, and watching it again is really a treat because you get to really see a lot of this detail work where before you didn't really know what was going on. You get hints, but then you get to see this, like, vending machine that's been ripped to shreds, and you're like, this was ripped open by probably very, very desperate people or zombies or a combination therein. So it's, it's, a, gruf- it's a gruesome image. It's a gruesome image, and not seeing, like, kind of anybody around, just the remnants of what happened. A, the set dressing uh, crew did a, did a terrific job on this, and wow, good job. Because it really, you, as a forensic kind of person, you could kind of look at it and put everything together. Because the movie doesn't really be like, oh, here was a zombie, bashed that guard's head in or whatever, and he's like lying there. And, you know, it's a lot of just emptiness and then stuff everywhere. So... It really, you know, it's up to the imagination, but they do some really, really beautiful stuff of, of building that eerie scene. And then he works his way into a, the crowded uh, London streets, downtown London, and he sees this big wall with all these, like, letters of people trying to reach out to each other. Uh, and then, you know, you think about it, and this was, pre, this was pre-iPhone, but uh, you figure all that grid went down, so there's no cell phones, and communication is reduced to the old way, which wasn't that long ago, really, but it seems like a million years ago when we used to have to write letters to each other and actually call people on the house phone. The horror, the horror. So uh, he quickly encounters some infected people because he doesn't know what's going on, and they try to kill him, and it's in a church, and I think setting it in a church kind of made it that much more powerful as a scene. Symbolically, you're like, a church is kind of a safe haven, especially during you know disaster moments. We get a creepy written note on the wall saying the end is nigh, which I actually, when I saw this movie as a kid, um, teenager, I should say, I didn't know what nigh was. It's a, an expression. It's an it's a English word for near. It means near. I put it together. I was like, oh, that probably means near. The end is nigh. But anyway, you see that, and then this minister who comes out like with his full garb, you know, his cloak, you know, his robe, comes out, this priest, and starts... You know, you know, and then we get to see this fast-moving zombie. And this movie really introduced and actually is given the, the kind of honor of introducing the fast-moving zombie. Now, in Return of the Living Dead, which is uh, from Dan O'Bannon, who co-wrote Alien as well, uh, who wrote Alien, Dan O'Bannon, he did uh, Return of the Living Dead, which was very much a kind of parody of Night of the Living Dead, but the movie is really its own beast where it's still pretty freaky and it has a lot of... It has a lot of, I don't want to call it a joke film or a satire, but it plays more satirical. The zombies move pretty fast. But here they move like crazy fast. And then they do this thing with the shutter, with, with the frame rate, and get make that blurry kind of choppy look, and it's beautiful. And that comboed with the fact that it's DV gives it this really grainy, like visceral, like they take frames out and they just make it go so fast and they undercrank the camera and it's just like, bam! you get this horrifying, fast-moving zombie. Uh, and then we get um, Naomi Harris is introduced. Basically, they, f- they save Jim's life, and then we get Selena. 
Uh, Selena, played by Naomi Harris, is kind of the yin to Jim's yang in this film. They're really um, two parts of a whole. Uh, they work really well together. Selena saves Jim's life, but then later Jim saves Selena's life. So they learn to lean on each other. Uh, and Selena, as I said, the image of Selena with this machete. And you get this stunningly beautiful, you know, Naomi Harris. She's she's beautiful. Uh, and she's got this machete, and she's going to kill you if you turn in a second, and she, which, which they prove with uh, the ill-fated Mark. Um, Mark basically, um, you know, <laughs> poor guy, he, he gets bit, and then before he even realizes what's going on, well... Played by Noah Huntley. Noah Huntley plays Mark beautifully well. Uh, he gives also the speech about climbing over people when they're stuck in the convenience store right after they save Jim. Uh, but yeah, Mark uh, doesn't last very long. And honestly, this is like a, the most horrific part of the movie for me. Um, this probably ties it for um, Brendan, Brendan Gleeson's death. But when Mark turns right after they get attacked at Jim's house... That they go to reluctantly, but Jim's like, I gotta see my parents, and they're like, Your parents are probably dead, and he's like, I gotta see him, I gotta see him. And he gets there and it looks like they've they've taken poison and they wrote him a letter that they have clutched in their in their hands that like sleep forever, we'll join you now, you know. We left you sleeping and now we'll we'll join you. Stay asleep. Stay asleep was the last line on that letter. And then all of a sudden, boom, zombie attack. We go from a really slow, poignant, tender moment with seeing the dead parents to boom. Uh, attack again, crazy shutter rate. Zombies are, are at the at the gates. They burst through the window, quickly fight them. Mark kicks butt. Everyone kicks butt, uh, but it's too late. Mark's bit, and then you know what does Selena do? She machetes the crap out of him. He's like, no, 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 you know, and it's just like machete, 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 and then boom, it's it's over, and it's it's brutal. And a lot of a lot of it is off screen. You just get to hear the. <laughs> you know like machete breaking whatever skull killing and the blood splattering on selena and you get this kind of she's this duality of this like beautiful woman but she's vicious and she will kill and all she cares about is survival and she's lasted this long and she's like we can't go anywhere we have to just hold up and you know what i thought of when i was watching it this time obviously with this ringing in my ears of social distancing and and, and corona but she is social distancing she's cold She's like, no, we shouldn't go. We shouldn't go look for more people. We shouldn't go see, you know, see where your parents are doing. They're probably dead. You know, and then later when they find the military encampment and they hear the broadcast on the radio, she's like, no, we really shouldn't go. So she's kind of this, like, the cautionary, we just got to keep moving. Survival is enough. That's social distancing. Like, we got to survive. This is the game. This is how we got to play. This We got to quarantine ourselves. Otherwise, this thing's going to beat us. But at some point humanity will humanity itself. It's like, how long can we, can we be isolated? How long can we do this for? Can we theoretically do this forever? Could a human being be in isolation for a year? Um, granted, you can call your folks, you can FaceTime, all that. How long can we do this for? And after three months or four months of this, I hope it's not that long, but I fear that it might be. Will we be the same person, you know? Um, or will there be permanent brain damage? So that, that begs the question. Because Killian Murphy is more like, oh, we got we to gotta go out and, and find people. He's still 
more or less adopting the mentality of before. Granted, he slept for 28 days, which is why it's called 28 Days Later. He wakes up after this bike accident out of a coma. You get a lovely nude shot of him just kind of laid out in that hospital bed. Looking good, Killian. Uh, you know, and then it's like he wants to reach out. And then when they get to uh, Megan Burns and Brendan Gleeson, who are this uh, family unit. So, you know, before it's Mark and Selena, and they're kind of a family. And then it's Mark gone. And it's Jim and Selena, and they're kind of male-female, but they're still trying to figure out what's going on. They really haven't, like, hooked up or anything. They're just trying to survive together. They're not really coming off as parents. They're just kind of coming off as two survivors. And then we get to a nuclear family, more or less. The, the, the wife is missing. We don't really know why. We presume that she got killed in this horrible outbreak. Brendan Gleeson plays Frank. Uh, Megan Burns plays Hannah. And they're... It's like father and daughter. So we have this kind of nuclear family at play. And they're they're living, um, you know, in high-rise apartment. And they have this flashing, like, Christmas light sign that alerts uh, Jim and Selena to, to go check it out. And this really hit me this time. But the juxtaposition of them fighting their way, of course, there's infected. Coming up the stairs. And Jim's behind Selena going up to this flat uh, where they're staying. And the infected are coming. And Jim's like, wait for me, Selena, wait for me. Selena's just booking it. And you're like, oh no, is the infected going to get to them and before that they have a chance to get inside? And it's this harrowing sequence. Uh, they both make it in. They, you know, fight some, they basically get to um, Brendan Gleeson playing Frank in this SWAT outfit, you know, basically has the shield and the helmet and everything and he fights off a zombie and it's a brutal scene. Again, the fast moving camera, the fast shutter, high speed, high speed shutter. And they get into the flat and then all of a sudden you hear this kind of lullaby song playing and it's like, they're just home chilling. So it's like one second you're fighting zombies and it's this brutal military intense battle. And then the juxtaposition, juxtaposition of them just being inside and it being like this homey, quiet little home. And here we are, here's the living room here. Here's the bedroom. And, and I really, that, that striking parallel juxtaposition really hit me this time over the head. And I think that's kind of how it is. Like, you, when I went out super, when I went out to the supermarket yesterday, I felt like I was putting on my armor. I had my gloves on. I had this, like, jacket on. I had my sunglasses on. I joked that I was a charmer, and I was like, have you seen the bread? You know? Because I got the glasses on. <laughs> but I, like, I didn't really make eye, t- eye contact with anybody. I, I tried to keep my mouth closed. I was like, well, I don't want to have my mouth just, like, open. Normally, I'm, like, singing and humming a lot, and I have to really watch that now when I'm out because... You have to be on guard when you're out, but then when you're home, you're like in pajamas and you're just chilling. So I really felt that duality that the movie captured, um, meeting, meeting Frank and Hannah. And uh, so basically, to quickly realized though that this is not the place to stay. This is not the place to hunker down. That we got to keep moving. We don't have enough water. It hasn't rained and hasn't rained in like nine days or something. They got all the buckets outside collecting the water, and they got to get out and and keep moving. And Selena. Selena's like, we got to stay here and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Frank's like, no, we got to. It's basically like the hope of a future, which is the element plaguing us all right now. Is there a future? You can't just sit inside your house forever. Or can you? So anyway, they get this broadcast. Uh, We hear Chris Eccleston's voice. um, And Chris Eccleston plays the, uh, the military sergeant. He does a great, great job in this role. And uh, I really can't. Uh, Major Henry West 
We got Chris Eccleson as Major Henry West. He steals the show. This was my intro to him, and it's funny now. I've I've been watching Doctor Who, and he is um, he's the first Doctor in Doctor Who in, in the the second wave of Doctor Who and the more modern Doctor Who. Uh, and he does a great job in Doctor Who, but I think it took me a few episodes to kind of trust him because he was this major. It's funny when you uh, when you meet actor when you see actors and you associate them with roles they've played, you're like, I can't trust this guy. He's evil. But you're like, wait, he's probably a great guy. He's just he's he's an actor. I'm an actor too. I've played some villains. You think people are gonna just think I'm a villain? But anyway, Chris Eccleson uh, does a great job, and they hear his voice, and he's like, the answer to infection is here. Here's where you got to go. So they get in a car, and they take the harrowing journey. And then this takes us to the the, uh, the kind of end stages of the film where they hole up in this military encampment run by Chris Eccleson, and he has the men, and he says he has the answer to infection. But really, the answer to infection is the women. I promise them women. This is harrowing. Um, right before they come up to these guys, though, Brendan Gleeson gets it, man, and it's brutal. Brendan Gleeson, uh, is just, here's this kind of raven calling, this crow raven, uh, and he's like, get out of it, shut up! And it's almost his way of being like, you know, it's basically his way of saying, death, be gone, death, stay away, uh, I'm tired of this. The, the raven, in my opinion, represents the death, you know, the carrion. Um, and lo and behold, it's resting on a infected corpse which then drips a droplet of blood which they actually use a camera and they lower the camera on a on a on a coil basically and they lower it down on a rope so they get that awesome shot of the blood of the pov of the blood droplet like coming into brendan gleason's eye and he quickly turns and there's this horrible horrible moment where you know he's screwed and you know he's about to be infected um and then he's right there with hannah and hannah's like are you okay and hannah's creeping you know inching in closer towards him and he's like i love you very much i'm sorry i lost my temper um, but, uh, but get away from me, get away from me. And then she is instinctually going towards him because it's the father, but the father is being subverted into monster zombie. And soon enough, he's basically shoving her away. And thank goodness he does. So she gets clear and then boom, boom, boom. We see these machine guns pierce, uh, his torso. And I think that's, what's so horrifying about this is that he went from being a human being a caring father, a loving leader and father and familial figure to a monster within a matter of seconds. And that, and then the guys shoot him and they're like, oh, did anybody get bit? You okay? And you're like, yeah, they're doing the right thing by killing this monster, this zombie, but seconds ago he was a guy. So, so that's really what it is, you know. Um, that really encapsulates the horror of it for me is that it just moves so fast and takes you over. And it's scary, you know, how fragile we really all are and how fragile our humanity really is. Because the second things break down and the second things aren't good anymore and we're clawing for resources, that's the worst of humanity. And we're all going to be, you know, free for all. And that's why it's really crucial what the government does right now with this coronavirus, because that kind of encapsulates the whole thing for me. If people get desperate and get, they feel cornered, then they do become the monster. We do become the zombie um, and then, you know, we get to Chris Eccleson and he's beautifully talking about how it's people killing people. It's still just like always they're sitting around the table, you know, and they're like smoking cigars and drinking. And they're like, we're, we're civil, we're civilization. We're the last vestiges of civilization. And we're all upper class and we're having philosophical debates. And, but at the end of the day, you start to realize that they just want Selena and Hannah basically to impregnate them. You know, you could call that rape if you want. I don't think they're volunteering. It's pretty messed up. 
But then you're like, oh, is this what really needs to happen? Um, is this really, you know, do you... The movie kind of doesn't paint Chris Eccleson's part as a villain straight up. Um, and I think that makes it that much more horrifying when the villains aren't... It's not so black and white. You know, it's a lot more shades of gray. You know, like, these are desperate times and, like, we have to procreate. But I think forcing... The second it's forcing anybody to do that against their will, then it's rape, then it's not right, then it's messed up. And the movie kind of more or less says that it doesn't, you know, it's basically condemning that course of action. And then Jim beautifully becomes this badass killer and he gets away for a second and then he turns the tables on the whole military encampment. He lets he lets the zombie, um, you know, who's hooked up like a dog to a leash by Chris Eccleson. They're studying how long it's going to take a zombie to basically uh, starve to death. But they're also like, oh, man, he's just chilling there. That's kind of freaky. That sets up, like, Jim letting him go and using that zombie and infecting the encampment. And then the way they film Jim running around, they do a lot of that shutter stuff where they mess with the shutter speed, which they usually reserve for the monster, for the zombies. They use for Jim. So it's it's as if the movie's saying Jim has to become this creature to combat this. So it's like to fight fire you've got to become fire um and even you know the ruthless uh you know the ruthless naomi harris is like appalled almost when jim's slamming the military guy's head you know against the wall and she's like oh my god but then of course she jumps his bones and like starts kissing him and then one of the funniest parts is hannah breaks a bottle over jim's head thinking that jim was trying to bite selena but they were like making out that was a really funny moment. You don't really get a lot of humor in this movie, which usually I'd say is definitely a detriment, but there are a few instances where it happens and it gives so much levity to the whole thing. And again, like we're talking about with Terminator, it's really the funny human tender moments that make it more real. And if it's just straight one note horror all the time, all the time, you know, it's, uh, it, loses, it loses some humanity to it. But this is, this is a world where, you know, there really isn't time for fun. There really isn't time for games. You know, you got to keep moving. And if one second slip up and you're dead, you know, if this thing can spread and, you know, and bite you and, and within 10 to 20 seconds, you're a zombie, there's no time for, you know, hugging and kissing until you're definitely, definitely secure. One moment that I kind of skipped over in my synopsis, uh, which really is the most levity in the whole movie is when they go into the grocery store on their way to the military encampment. And they play this really, really nice you know, pleasant song. It actually has vocals and it feels like a song on the radio as if like humanity's back for a second. Cause most of the movie, the music is brilliantly put together again by John Murphy, but it has that kind of like existential gritty roughness to it. Uh, here you actually hear like a song that you would hear on the radio while they're, while they're shopping. And then the shopping scene really reminds me of Dawn of the Dead when, uh, when they're all shopping and it's, it's fun and they get to like actually eat real food. Cause they're, most of the time they're eating like Cheetos and chips and junk basically which is all that's around in the vending machines while you're you know scavenging that's all that's lasted because we're, we're a month in now from from the beginning of this thing um you know they kick uh they kick the military guys butts and then they're together again and uh then they basically find a plane the movie ends with a very hopeful note that they find a plane they make a sign that says hello um outside of this kind of cottage on this meadow in this field, and there's a, you don't really know the nationality, but a plane flying above, because you're like, oh, is, is, is the UK messed up, or is this the whole world? You don't really know. 
you don't get that outside voice. And I actually really like that because how would you? If society really broke down to that extent, you wouldn't have that. So so anyway, um, it ends on a positive note of like they found somebody. There is some vestige of society out there for the hope of the future. But this movie really does probe into a lot of themes of hope and, you know, do we have hope right now? Um, so I really want to touch more on a lot of the issues that the movie is raising. Like, so the infected are the villain of the film. But like most good films, it's not the monster or the beast that's the real villain. It's the human with the choice. So I really think Chris Eccleston becomes the real villain of the movie. Um, he promises his military men women. Uh, he kind of goes about it the wrong way, I think. You know, sure, put a, put, a, put a broadcast out, but don't really lie. Just say, you know, there's some of us here, and we'd love to have more of a community. We're building a community here. He, at the end of the day, saw it as a military operation where he had to kind of take care of his, his subordinates. And he's like, what do, you tell, what do you tell a group of nine men, you know, when there's no women and there's no future and there's no hope? Well, I don't think you should tell them that we should put a broadcast out and get whoever can come around to just come and be raped by us. I think that's probably not what you should do. So the real villain here is the one with the choice, right, is Chris Eccleston. And again, the movie doesn't make it so clear cut. I don't think he's a pure evil man. I think he makes a very, very bad decision, and that's the bad decision. Is As soon as you strip away the free will of people, uh, then you're no better than this infection, right? You're Like, this is threatening humanity. Well, what is it that makes us human? Is our decision abilities, our capacity to make decisions for ourselves, to make choices. And that's what makes us human. And once that's threatened, then we're corrupted. So Chris Eccleston, in my mind, represents that, you know, he's backed up against the wall, but he makes the wrong call, you know, and uh, that rhymed. So I'm going to stick with that. So almost 20 years after this film's released, it's it's more pertinent than ever. I think this movie is um, should be watched by everyone right now. You know, maybe it's a little too on the nose of how we're all feeling and whatnot. But, you know, I think there's always this element of like, oh, well, the government will take care of it or, or somebody else will take care of it. And that innately is bad. I think that they, you know, it's good that we elect officials that we like and we exercise our democracy to, to have leadership, but we have to all be as strong as we can as individual units. And it's like, you're only, you're only as strong as your weakest link, you know, that expression. So it's like, if we're kind of all just, and I think that's the danger now is we're all so specialized. Like back in the day, you had to know how to farm. You had to know how to do this to survive. You, you know, now it's like, oh, well, I, I, I do computers. Uh, Jim, he's a farmer. You know, so we're all kind of become like specialized in our jobs and our trades and our fields. And now that we're all just basically alone again, I think that's really, uh, it's, it's really a salient flaw of humanity is that we're all so compartmentalized. And then now that we're isolated, I think those elements are starting to come out and we got to stay strong and we all have to have a clear head, a critical, clear head on our shoulders more than ever when things go south. And I think this movie is a cautionary tale about how we must stay strong and informed and, you know, survival of the fittest. And we've got to be as fit as we can. And that doesn't mean like physically fit. I mean, obviously that that's part of it, but, you know, mentally aware of what's going on, clear idea of what the information is and not letting fear overrun our logic. Because once, once the logic breaks down and we're just animals, we are the infected. And I, I truly believe that's what this movie is saying. 
you know, pure rage or whatever horrible emotion, fear, you know, reacting. It's, it's a reaction. Once, once your cognizant mind is buried by this kind of secondary, like, secondary engine of fear or whatever it is, which are survival instincts that kick in when, when, when things got to go down and you got to throw your gloves down and go to battle, you know, the, the adrenaline and all that pumps into you and that rage pumps into you. But ultimately to steer behind the wheel with those emotions in the front and then logic suppressed in the back is the key to doom. And I truly believe that. And I believe that's what this movie is saying at its core. And it is a horror movie, but only because it's showing us how quickly that, this kind of thing can happen and how quickly humanity can break down. And if we aren't all strong and critical and cognizant of what's going on around us, then we all are in danger of becoming the infected. And, and there it is, you know, it, the allegory is not, it's not complex. It's not complex. It's quite simple. So I think it shows that you have to have a little bit of compassion. You can't just be all Selena. You can't be all Jim and be all compassion either because then, you know, how many times did Selena save his butt, right? A couple times where he was too busy just either trying to find his family or, you know, letting, letting those emotions take charge. So I think what this movie is saying is you've got to be a blend of all things. You really have to factor in so many things to be a complete person and have your wits about you in this apocalyptic scenario, which we are not far from and we're witnessing now. And I'll leave it there. Um, I am... Uh really glad I was able to talk for a little while. I had this worry that I wouldn't be able to talk at all, but guess what guys? I was able to do it. So yeah, thanks for listening. I really appreciate you checking it out. And I know, um, you know, it's a little weird just having me this time. I hope I was somewhat entertaining and informative. So whatever happens, um, keep your wits about you and, and, and keep cool, but stay informed and be that right blend of Selena and Jim as you go into this harrowing harrowing pandemic that we have here all right good luck everyone take care